Controversy. A three letter word some regard as a curse. See, he may fiend and have a dream because he's seen a teen in tight jeans. What makes him react like that is biological. The scheme on getting in those jeans is diabolical. But of course he does it and she gives them rap. And before you even know it, they jump in the sack. As a matter of fact, 
sometimes it's like that. But anyway, ready or not, here he comes. And like a dumb son of a gun, oops, he forgot the condoms. Hey. Oh, well, you say, what the hell? It's chill. I won't get got. I'm on the pill until the sword pours and stuff pours down your drawers. He gave it to you, and now it's all yours. Yours, yours. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Hey, welcome to KCC Live 99.8 FM here on your FM dial, this uh, station with Attitude. Welcome to the Tunnel Vision Show. So, the Tunnel Vision Show with our host Chase Johnson Lynch, myself, and Phil Bill. We're going to be talking about um, films. Uh, we're also going to be talking about film soundtracks from those films and everything. And uh, the way we look at doing that is that we like to talk about um, the filmmakers, the auteurs who make these films, and we cover their filmography like as a triptych, don't we, Phil? We do indeed. Good, good evening, Chase. Good evening, Phil. <laughs> Phil was waiting for me to just introduce him. He's like, "Hey, man, when am I going to get in there?" Am I, I thought here? I did. Am I here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are here, Phil. So, who are we going to be talking about today, mate? Tonight we're going to be talking about Quentin Tarantino, the Mr. QT, Mr. QT, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, obviously, man has about nine films in his filmography, but what we decided to do, we decided to tackle three of them. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is first. Um, then we're going at Pulp Fiction, his most infamous. And then we're going to look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest, and everything like that. So, you know, and uh, as usual, we usually, like... Uh, Picks a song from the film as well uh, to talk about and everything, as well as we go down our own road of Motown, which I love doing Motown and R and B. You know, I know Motown Phil. And- wish, I know Phil wishes we were doing more of his. Like I don't know what what kind of music taste he has, but like <laughs> you know exactly where I come from, bro. But no, no, I love I love Motown, Philly too, man. I love funk. Yeah, 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 stuff. man. That's right. You know, I got the feeling. All right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Phil, you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna first hit Reservoir Dogs, uh, yeah, a classic are. from yeah. 1992. Yeah. So why don't you hit us off with like uh, some information on. Uh, QT's first opus. Yeah, cool. So it was it was Tarantino's first feature length film. It would have originally been planned as as a black and white uh, sixteen mil, thirty thousand dollar budget film to start with. Uh, He wrote the script, of course, as he always does. uh, Which, one way or another, I think you could fill us out a bit more detail on the detail of this. But it found its way to Harvey Keitel. Well, yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, because what happens is, is that Tarantino was one of our first independent filmmakers. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, Spike Lee, uh, you know, Robert Townsend, people were, like, actually doing it for themselves at the time. Yeah. And Tarantino was one of those guys who came out of the video store. That's right. He was watching, actually... Watching movies all over the place. Literally working in a video store, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you know, and... Um, I think his $30,000 budget, though, in his original plans, that had come, I think, from... Another script that he'd been paid for, I believe. Was it the True Romance script, I think, maybe? Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much he wrote True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Sure. And everything else like that. And um, But um, this was, like, burning a hole in his pocket. Absolutely. You know, and uh, so when he got invited to go to the Sundance Film Lab, the director's lab, right? Um, he decided to take a piece because what they would do is uh, to test your directed ability, Right, uh, they will, you know, offer you a chance to do one scene. Wow, and then they will give you famous actors to do that scene. Fantastic. So you yeah. know, yeah. and stuff like that. Because if you could do one scene, then you could do a multitude of scenes. It's sure. kind of like the theory behind Sundance. Right. So uh, basically, he took the scene in Reservoir Dogs. You know, um, in 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 the place with um, Harvey Keitel and uh, Tim Roth. Right. And um, Harvey just really loved the rawness. Yeah. Uh, 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 the characterizations here and everything like that to the point that he offered himself up absolutely to be a producer absolutely I, I think probably on condition that he got uh, he got the role as well I think that's right well hey it? I just played this role <laughs> there's nobody else who should play it but me I'm Mr. White absolutely <laughs> absolutely so yeah so Harvey comes on board uh Partnering with Lawrence Bender, the other producer. And Roger Avery, yeah. That's right. And, and they and, are and his company, a band apart. Right, okay. And he brings in, like, at least another $1.2 million worth of, of uh, budget, I think, with him, something mm -hmm. like that. So it kind of transformed the production, really. Yeah. However, it is still fairly tight. <clears throat> as, as we can... We'll talk about the uh, the, the form of the film in a second. But um, his his style motifs immediately became obvious uh, from, from the, from the kick-off, really. With well, them. one of those was dialogue, isn't it? Yes, dialogue, absolutely. Non-linear storytelling. Um, mm. Extreme profanity well, th throughout. <laughs> outrageous uh, <laughs> uh, racism. Uh, <laughs> Cas casually shocking. That's right. Or shocking, casually shocking. Shocking or even sho shockingly casual. Which we will talk about. Absolutely. But very gory, uh, explicit violence, gritty Oh, my God, very gory. I mean, the blood, there was buckets of blood that's there, right. uh, going on on that, this. That's right, absolutely. So that was that was the outcome. And, and it was a huge um, critical success. But it was so minimalist, you know. It's funny because, like, uh, did you did you uh, sense a touch of French New Wave in here? Wow, good question. Well, because that's why they called themselves a band apart, which was actually a French film out of the New Wave, or like from the Truffauts. Wow, stuff okay, and everything. But like, it was very minimalist, like like not just down to the suits, you right. know, the black suits and black yeah. ties. Yeah. But um, this film. Uh, I should say it was about moments yeah. that that yeah. were extreme. Yeah, you know, like like they 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 sit around the diner in the beginning doing a long diatribe on Madonna and her song "Like a Virgin," but like what, what that was a masterpiece of is like trying to shoot people around the table. I mean, it's very difficult to shoot four people playing poker. I can well imagine. You know what I mean? Now, because, the, was, because the camera's always in shot, isn't it? Or, exactly, right, exactly, yeah, and, right. and, and, and all that. But then, um, that being said, you know, uh, we never see the robbery. 
No, that's right. So when I mentioned non-linear, non-linear mm -hmm. narrative, yeah. So we see them beforehand, mm -hmm. and we see them discussing it, and then we see the aftermath, and right. that's when the majority of the film actually is in the, in the aftermath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but immediately apparent, as you just said, though, was the naturalism of the dialogue, and these guys are brought together as a team that don't know each other, uh, but they are they are Im immediately in the moment, aren't they? And they the, the the script is fabulous, really. It's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so that's where I mean, when we're talking about this naturalistic dialogue, and we're going to get to the elephant in the room about for the sure. uh, casual racism for sure, and stuff, for sure. because you know, like what I was saying, you know, maybe in a little bit in defense of it, but what I was trying to say was what Tarantino is really good at is um, naturalistic dialogue. Yes. I mean, these guys are having conversations that are actually scripted. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure, I mean, there's sure. really not much, you know, like... Uh, you mean he doesn't do the improv thing that much or... No, because right. it's kind of like, look, man, my dialogue is there. Yes. <laughs> it's, good, it's good enough. Can you imagine yeah. trying to yeah. improv on a Tarantino script? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to <laughs> capture the same magic. That's right. Yeah. You know, but the point is, it's like, man, it rings so true. So, um... Let me just let me just interject there just for a second and tell you how I came back to the film because I saw Pulp Fiction originally when it first came out. I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't actually seen it. Mm -hmm. So I loved Pulp Fiction, which we're going to discuss in, in a short while, uh, so much that I thought, right, I'm going to go and see, seek that out. I searched it out, probably went to Blockbuster. <laughs> I love Blockbuster. <laughs> I know. Blockbuster is my museum, bro. <laughs> I just love just wandering around Blockbuster. <laughs> so I went to Blockbuster and got a copy of Reservoir Dogs out, and I hated it. Right. I literally hated it. I really, and, and I, I, I said to myself, this is back in 94, probably this would be. I'm never going to watch that film again. And, 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 and the reason, that my, from what I remember of my reaction, it wasn't actually about what we're about to speak about. It was because of the, 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 the gore. I just felt the gore and the and the and the horror was overdone and overcooked, and unnecessarily gr graphic. You know, that's what my 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 memory of my my response was. In fact, I'm not even sure I watched it all. So I snuffed the year was a bit much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Yeah, only because he had to try to avoid it afterwards. You know, like how do you show a guy with no ear? Yeah, yeah, you know what that's I mean? absolutely right. And he does show, he, obviously he cuts away in the actual moment. Well, you know what? And that was something that I pointed out to you yeah. that Tarantino often does, is yes. that even though people feel that his films are violent, he often uh, has a tremulous camera work where he often turns away from the violence as sure. if he himself cannot watch it. Yeah. You know, so you often will see the camera incidentally turn from violence and everything, but obviously he has to turn back to it. The you know what I mean? So you have to see the aftermath. Several times. Yeah, yeah so the bad. air scene, yeah. But what, what I was going to go and say was that my, my, my horror, not horror, but my dislike of it was not really based around something which now going back to it for the purposes of this programme, just leapt off the screen this casually oh, just really unnecessary it, it, it appeared to me anyway my 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 emotional response was that racism is uncalled for mm -hmm. and it's not only it's not like a it's not like a, a one-off event it's like on a continuous loop almost mm -hmm. of using the n-word repeatedly um in 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 just shockingly casual ways and that this time around, look, going back to it was like the biggest, the biggest horror of all this time. You know, that's how I felt. Now, so, so this is where, like, coming back to me, like, uh, I was in New York at the time. Sure. 
You know, so, you know, New Yorkers are famous for, you know, shouting back at the screen and, you know, and, and getting involved in the films, really? you know. Yeah, I, man, I in the theater, I man, are you kidding me? I didn't know that. that oh, really dude, cool. yeah, man. Oh, whoa, shut up, woman. Run, run the other way. Get your ass up. You know, all I got. <laughs> wow. You know, but um, so one would think that there was a lot of offense upon hearing this language when you're playing it in New York and Times Square, but yeah, yeah. there wasn't. Wow. And I think, so this is where I was saying to you, is, is that... You've educated me, without a doubt. I feel that what's great about Tarantino's dialogue is that he's unashamed, and I think this is what uh, uh, Samuel Jackson um, says about him. He's unashamed about what people really say when they are amongst themselves. Gotcha. Right? So I called it circle dialogue. Yeah. And especially since we had to sit down and watch a couple of more Tarantino films. Yeah. And I see that he does this a lot where is that like he feels that he's not talking through malice. He's saying what people often say when they're by themselves. So if you got a group of white people in a car, like in the car scene where they're talking about E. Lois, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the black woman at the shop. Yeah. You know, um, it starts out first, it starts out hard because they're talking about, you know, like how black black men treat their women and That's all right. that kind of That's stuff, right. which it could be your opinion, Mr. White. But then the thing about it is, is that Mr. White is entitled to his opinion when he's talking to other white people. Right. Right. So, like, you know, they're not saying, hey, you know, because this is also kind of like before PC. Right. So yeah, yeah. they're not saying, hey, you can't really say stuff like sure, this. Sure. Sure. Right. What you're saying, Chase, in essence, is that's how it really is. Well, no, but yeah, but well, so this is what I was trying to say sure. when I pointed that out to you sure. was about yeah. a film that came out later on called White Chicks with the Wayne Brothers. Right. Right, you know, and they point that scene out very clearly. Like, they're in a the car, uh, they're dressed as white women, uh -huh. which is crazy enough as it so is. So two black guys. Like. Two black guys dressed up as white women, but they're with wow. three other white women, right? So they're in a the car, and a song comes on, and this happens all the time because Wu-Tang is so popular in, 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 in suburbs. Yeah, yeah. Right, you know? You got to imagine, like, when a white kid is listening to the Wu-Tang Clan or some other hardcore rappers, yeah. you know, you know, they're going to say the N-word because they're going to say the N-word in the of song. Of course, of course. Right? But they're going to make sure that they look around, <laughs> <laughs> that, that there are no other people to disrespect by yes, saying it. Yes, yes, So, so, so a song comes on in a car and white checks. And, um, you know, they're starting to say the N-word, da-da-da-da. And then one of the girls goes, oh, we can't say that, we can't say that. And then one of the black guys dressed as a white girl says, why? There's no one else around. Yeah, and then they look at each other and they're like, yeah, there is no one else around. Yeah, and then they start lovingly singing this song. Gotcha. So what I'm trying to say is that conversation in a car between Crytown and everyone is just that they have the right to say whatever they want to say. Their opinion is their opinion yeah. and stuff like that. But if we're listening to it, judging them, sure. Right. We, we, in a way we can't because we're like, Oh, we're now privy to private conversation. I got you. Yeah. So we should actually yeah. enjoy yeah. the fact that, that look at the relish well, that they're saying you know, coming, when they're talking about black people. Well, coming <laughs> from a black man, you, you are, you, you obviously are, are the arbiter without a doubt in this conversation here between you and I. And if you're, if you're relaxed and comfortable about that and you're saying to me, well, I, I, I get completely straight past that because that's how it really is. And that's just Tarantino telling everybody in, in the world, this is how it is. And the thing about it is I can also say that because, I can tell you that when black people were by themselves, sure, 
they say the same thing. Of course, thing. of course. They are constantly what, ripping and ra- um, ramming on, on white people. One, because they feel they can, but because they're also in private conversations with yes. each other. Yeah, I understand. They're like, I'm letting off steam. Yeah. Let me say what I want to say. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, in that aspect is that, so what Tarantino is doing is, he's not PC in that conversation. No, he's not, man. That's you right. know? That's right. He could easily say the black girl, the, uh, no, I'm not going to say the C word, but, you know, he could easily say those things. But the point is, like, he will actually use the N-word if he wanted to amongst his yeah. friends and peers yeah. or yeah. colleagues. Yeah, you did You did say we weren't in PC times back in, this is 1992 in we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I accept that. But what I, what, I, what, I, what I would say is that the N-word had been re, repatriated by that time by black people. Yeah. So it still, it was really an anathema. So... But I'm really interested to hear you say, though, that it, it, it didn't even cause a stir in the black community in, in, in New York when it came out and people just accepted it as reality. It's, it's only when you mix the company, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's kind of like, because I could say, hey, it's all right for them to have said it, but not in front of my face. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and then, and like, you know, because you'll have other conversations where people go, how about you say it all the time? I have a right to say it. Yeah, is yeah. It, is it, like what you say, repatriating. Yeah. I have a right to say it. Yeah, you do. But you don't have the right to say that's it in front of my right. face. That's absolutely right. And that's Because that's true. disrespectful. That's right. I mean, I, I, we've also got to talk about our own personal experiences in, in regard to this because before this, well before this, I was working in multi, multi, um, uh, di- in diverse work, work environments with people of all sorts of backgrounds, black people, Asian people, white people. And it would never have happened in that company. Do you know what I mean? It, that mm-hmm. would never have happened because it's mixed, like you say. You hope it would never happen, and thankfully, it never happened but, in your presence. Yeah, that's right. But if it had, I mean, I think it's I'd only have, fair to I'd say have, it like that. I'd have, I'd have raised it straight away. I no, have you would have. It, but that's yeah, what I'm trying yeah, to say. Is yeah, yeah, that yeah. shows the kind of person that you are. Right. But what we're trying to say is, amongst the masses, there are many people who, you know, probably have that difficulty. Like they sure, probably, sure. they probably. Oh my God, he just said that, and like. Um, I don't know what to say here. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation where, like, a person of an older generation might have used what an older version of the words. Absolutely. And, like, you don't know what to do, really. Absolutely. Like, should I confront this person? Do absolutely. they actually know what he just said? Yes. And all of that. So, yes, absolutely. Um, but, absolutely. yeah, so, I mean, basically, I mean, you know, we're probably going to talk about it again. But that's what I was just trying to say with Reservoir Dogs is I think that it's bravery in his writing. And it's also funny. It's also funny what they say because it actually it starts out sounding negative, but then it turns out what they they're talking about their love for like yeah, in, you know get Chrissy Love or Foxy Brown in the car like in yeah. that conversation as you say it starts off kind of harshly kind of negative like, negative yeah, negative, negative, negative but it turns into a, a love story or a, a conversation about the people they love like um, as you say Foxy Brown and. Yeah. Um, What's the other lady's name? Uh, 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 get Christy Love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's also often what happens. I mean, even Spike Lee did, did it. Right. You know, like in, um, was it um, Do the Right Thing, you know, and everything where, where he would point out to John Turturro about how you guys love all things black, don't you? Right, it's like, right. you know, I mean, what did, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And it would be all things black. And it's like, you know, but then again, it's just that... Um, you know, people, you know, they just, it's, it's self-expression. Yes. At the end of the day. Okay. I mean, you know, so anyway, about like, like, like the cast, I mean, the cast was brilliant casting. I mean, you know, a lot of 
thing about independent directing is it's in the casting, mm. you know, because, uh, you know, when you get actors who, you know, haven't done much, you know, but these become breakout roles for them, like uh, Michael Madsen or Steve Buscemi, yeah, uh, absolutely. you know, Tim Roth, you know, but then you bring in the older actors like, you know, Lawrence Tierney and Edward Bunker and stuff. And I thought what was really interesting, what you had was that Edward Bunker were actually uh, was a convicted felon that's for right. a bank robbery, wasn't it? A jury that's, robbery, bank that's robbery. Right. That's right. And stuff. So, but he was also it, a writer. Yeah. An author. So it's, it's, it's interesting because Tarantino has a great ability to cast, you know, from the well, you know, from the the older forgotten actors. Yeah, yeah. And stuff, you know, and everything and bring them back into the fold and well, stuff. Yeah, Lawrence Tierney, what's his character's name? Lawrence Tierney's a Joe Cat Cabot or Joe. Cabo Joe Cabot or whatever however you pronounce it. Joe he, Cabot. He he has a he has a, a line when they're sitting around the table in the in the preamble mm. uh, and he says one of the guys says, Was he dead? Whoever they're talking about, was he dead? And he says, deader than Dillinger. Yeah. Lawrence Cabot's main role, main starring role mm. in, in back in 1946 was as Dillinger uh. in a classic noir film. So you've got Tarantino working. Nice throwback, yeah. Oh, amazing. He reaches out all the time, doesn't he? To yeah, I know, it's good. Different shout-outs, yeah. It's My favourite line, of course, was Ramblers, let's get to rambling. <laughs> yeah. uh, so but also, we've I got mean... We've got to hear the song, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Good man. Let's go. Let's go for a song break, you know. Uh, let's hear from the George Baker selection with Little Green Bag. Fantastic.
So that was a little green bag from the George Baker selection. That's actually a song from 1970, which also shows how Tarantino loves digging in the crates. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he, he's definitely a scrounger, man. I bet you, I would hate to see his house. He's probably got a hoarding section in the garage. <laughs> but um, but also, I just want to do one last shout-out for an actor. It's like Chris Penn, that nice guy, Eddie. You know, like, this was a tour de force for him. I don't know why it didn't lead him into doing more roles, or maybe it did, but... You know, to me, he will always be the cowboy in Footloose. Right, yeah. Because I, I was, I was always a guy. He's, he's kind of a small. He's, I, I wouldn't have known his name even. I don't think is he Sean Penn's brother? Yeah, he? he is. And Sean Penn has. Arthur, yeah, Sean Arthur, Penn has two brothers. Ben. Sean Penn and Matt. I'm mean, Chris and Matthew. Right. So Arthur Penn, that's his dad. Their dad so. is the director. That's right. Yeah. So, but I don't think I've seen Chris Penn in very much. You mentioned Footloose, but I thought he was yeah. brilliant, brilliantly done in this. I thought no, he he, he 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 did this role um, tremendously. Absolutely and, brilliant and, and stuff. You know. Um, so, uh, you also uh, was going to talk about, you know, like the growth and financing of this film. Well, yeah. Um, it, it grossed close to $10 million on, it, on, its, on its theatrical release. So, it was a financial success. It was fairly small key, low key, small, small beer. But on, on the budget of $1.2 million, that's, that's pretty good return. Mm-hmm. And obviously, what it, what it did for Tarantino at that point. Yeah. Was giving that that much kudos. Yeah, um, uh, an absolute new talent on the block, without a doubt. And people then piled into him, and it, it bought him time and money for his next project. Basically, I think that's that, that's what we can say about it. It was a critical success. Uh, as for, I don't think any awards, not, not um, critics awards, just about, but none, none of the none of the Academy Awards or Baftas or Golden Globes came its way. That was for the next one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, the thing about it is, is that, like, um, you know, usually, you know, people often say, yeah, man, Chase, you always like doing spoilers. And then we didn't do any spoilers on this. And, like, you know, so that's all cool. But, I mean, like, the thing about it is, is that um, when we did talk about the graphic violence of this, um, I do want to um, hit one more song because <laughs> I thought that, like... Way Tarantino turns away from the violence is also the way he. I wouldn't say he tries to romanticize it, but he makes light of it. And so uh, when Michael Madsen is about to torture the police uh, officer and everything like that, you know, he puts on this song. Um, so we're gonna play "Still His Wheel," um, stuck in the middle, and everything, and uh, try not to do the dance. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, you guys. Just to the right. 
don't know about you, but I just watched Phil trying to do the dance. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still here. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. So, I mean, either way you look at it is, is that, you know, I mean, that's like um, Tarantino's first tour de force, Reservoir Dogs. Like, like we also pointed out, it wasn't like his first written film because he sold two other films beforehand. Yeah. Uh, which came out like uh, afterwards, so yeah. he started like he started dropping films, like dropping bombs Amazing. and everything like Amazing. that, you know. But um, you know, but then that's gonna, you know, uh, leave us for this triptych. And then as we go into uh, our next uh, Motown medley, you know, we'll come back for the second triptych. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check him out. My man gives real love, and that's why I call him killer. He's not a wham bam, thank 
your ma'am, he's a thriller. He takes his time and does everything right. Knocks me out with one shot for the rest of the night. He's a real smooth brother, never in the rush. Shady gives me goose pimples with every single touch. Spends quality time with his kids when he can. Secure in his manhood, cause he's a real man. A lover and a fighter and a knocker-knocker out. Don't take him for a sucker, cause it's not what he's about. Every time I need him, he always got my back. Never disrespectful, cause his mama taught him that. I got a good Just a powder. 
All right, so you're listening to KCC Live 99.8 FM down, the station with attitude. And you're listening to our show, The Tunnel Vision, with Chase Johnson Lynch and Phil Bill as we cover films and music and everything. So uh, we're on our second triptych now, looking at the authorship of Quentin Tarantino and everything. And so we go to 1994. We do. And his second uh, full feature, Pulp Fiction. So I think we're talking about probably his uh, his major work here, his, his masterpiece, where it really all does come together. And let's face it, he's only second one in, so he, he's, he really is on a roll at this point. So um, Pulp Fiction was written and directed by Tarantino, who conceived it along with the guy you mentioned before in, in relation to Reservoir Dogs, Roger Avery. Uh, it tells uh, various different stories of crime in Los Angeles. The title refers to pulp magazines and the hardball crime novels popular during the mid 20th century. Which are kind of like short vignette stories. Sure, right, okay, yeah. So, so punch, crime and violence. Punchy dialogue again, graphic, yeah, yeah. And it also forms. Start. Uh, we start to to see the, the formation of the Tarant the Tarantino verse. The Tarantino verse. We do. The Tarantino verse, so his own very own universe with with references forward and back to Reservoir Dogs and so on and so forth. Uh, also, um, cer- certain certain uh, cigarette packs and stuff, which Red Apple, Red Apple cigarettes. That's right, yeah. Which are a continuing thread, aren't they, through all of his work? Everybody smokes a Red Apple, and also Vincent Vega, the character in Pulp Fiction. Is the brother of Mr. Blonde, for example, in 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 Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. So yeah, it's got continuity going on there. So it was written during ninety two ninety three, uh, incorporating some scenes that Avery originally wrote for True Man- True Romance, uh, and it, the pl- it it occurs out the plot the narrative is again out of chronological order. Um, it's self referential from the opening scenes. Um, and it's devoted to monologues and casual conversations again with the, with eclectic dialogue always talking about each individual's character's perspectives on various subjects and it features uh, hu- the, the usual combination of humour really brilliant humour and really strong violence now so what she um, talk about here is, is that um, Pulp Fiction wasn't initially done this way Right. So it initially was a, a linear script. Really? Yeah. And everything. So like, um, so what's interesting is, is that like, um, you know, when you look at the characters here, you know, you probably, you probably say to yourself, all right, so Tarantino doing his thing about pulling actors out of, out of the box. Right. 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 So you got uh, John Travolta as Vinnie Vega. Yeah. Down on his, down on his uppers at this point. Down on his luck, Don Travolta, who's doing the Look Who's Talking Baby Talk films. Absolutely. Right? And everything else like how, that. How the mighty at this point have fallen, my God. Yeah. You know, and then, like, uh, you know, ah, oh man, damn, I can't remember now. Because uh, I think Samuel Jackson wasn't even the first choice. Was this his first major, major... Feature film. Oh no, no, he was doing Spike Lee stuff. Remember? Oh, was he? Okay, but right. like, but 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 this this is the breakout. But like, the thing about it was, he wasn't the uh, I forgot. Oh man, I forgot who the uh, original um, um, actor was. Right. But anyway, like the thing about it is, is that so Bruce Willis, you think is the star, 
What, what, would, what, what, at this point in 94, what do we know Bruce for? We knew him for Moonlighting, obviously. Well, yeah, but I believe I believe he would have done, like, Die Hard, wouldn't he? The first Die Hard, maybe. And stuff like that. Look at that. Look at us I'll, in our time. I'll timings check it out. But either way, it's like Bruce, I mean, you know, like, um, you know, Bruce was a, so it's a boxer who doesn't throw the fight, you know, and everything like that. And, like, uh, you know, um, he goes on a run, you know, from Marcellus Wallace, who was a character in, uh, well, he was a name drop in Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs, that's right. And everything else like that. And so Marcellus sends his hitman to go and get his, uh, you know, um, uh, money. But before he does that, he sends them on another job to go and get the case. Right. Right? So, um now, the thing about it is, is the fact is that, like, uh, that's what the movie opens up, is it opens up on a hitman, you know, nice opening shot at the trunk, famous Tarantino shot. Yeah. And everything. But, like, the deal is, is the fact that, that it starts with Tarantino dialogues, right? You know, first they're talking about Royale with cheese and, and, and fresh. And, and the thing about it is, it's funny because I now live in England. <laughs> I'm sure And I'm like I've never seen a damn metric system In a McDonald's in my life so I don't know what he's talking about They got the metric system over there but like, yeah. I mean I know you guys do things in kilograms And stuff like that But not in the freaking McDonald's You know <laughs> I don't know what he's on about but, um, it's, great. It's, a, it's a great conversation to be watching Yeah but the better amazing. conversation is the foot massage Right and all of that Of, other course, kind of, stuff, yeah, you know? of course well, yeah, yeah. Hey look we got time Let's go and talk about this foot Massage thing <laughs> before we go in and get these get these uh, boys, you know. So I mean, like the thing about it is, is that like, um, you know, uh, so to jump around, right? We're following these hitmen as they get that case, you know, and everything. Uh, they have a divine intervention because I'm not going to do the whole film. They have a divine intervention, which is fantastic, about how the bullets end up behind them in the walls. Absolutely, and not going yeah. through them. absolutely. But. Um, then they end up and Marcellus dropping off the case after they blow off the guy's head in the, in the car. By accident. By accident. Now, the deal is, is the fact that, so when we're watching this film out of order, right, right, we all of a sudden, we see that scene, and then we see them walking up into the bar in these shorts. That's right. right. Going, what the, what the what, hell's going what's on? What's going on and there? that's how we, that's like, right. when we meet Bruce Willis. That's right, yeah. Incidentally, yeah. I've just checked it out while we, while we were talking there. Yeah. He'd done two diehards at this point. So he was exactly. actually, he was right up there. Yeah, he so, right yeah, you, you could believe that he's the hero of the story. That's right. You know, especially because they decide, because there was an awkward encounter. I don't know uh, if, if Tarantino did that, like, you know, um, if he wrote that in the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, like between John Travolta and Willis, right. you know, that they didn't like each other. No, not at all. That's right. And stuff, you know, and uh, I think he's like, well, because we know what's going to happen, I need to have them have some kind of altercation sure. and stuff, you know. Um, so when you get the payoff, ultimately, yeah. which we, won't, we don't, don't have to go into in exactly. detail, but you think, well, that's kind of justice then. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is if you think about it, now, I don't know if you thought about it, that's, that scene in the, that scene in the um, bar, uh-huh. when they come into the bar, uh-huh. it's after... The cafe scene. Right. So after they walk yeah, out of the cafe. Yeah, because the cafe, they're definitely there in their shorts and T-shirts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And That's so right. they come into the bar. So it's kind of like it makes you it makes you say, like, 
<laughs> well, okay, I know where both of these guys are going. I mean, Travolta is going to go and get killed, and uh, yeah, that's uh, right. And, and Sam right. Jackson is going to go like and a, walk the earth. It's a brilliant circle, isn't it? Really? It may not be a perfect circle, but it's quite, it's something of a circle in the narrative. You 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 end up where you began, don't you? That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean. Um, you know, I kind of like wanted to, you know, uh, follow the adventures of Jules as he, you know, came from Kung Fu and shit. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so we got those side stories. So we got Mia Wallace, you know, That's the amazing. dance sequence. What an amazing section of the story that is where he's got to look after his bosses, the, the, the ultimate crime boss in this case. The ultimate crime boss's girlfriend wants a night out, so he's been delegated to take her out for the night. Exactly, and he's hoping he's hoping that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be caught and having sex in this thing, am I? Well, not only that, I won't even give her a foot massage because <laughs> the last guy that did that's that, sexual. the last guy that did get that, ended up going out the window. So <laughs> yeah. he threw him out of the window. So, oh wow, really? But then he but then he's got to go to a drug dealer pick up his drugs. So, oh. man, what we're talking about is raw heroin. Yeah. yeah? And, and and stuff like that, you know, which, uh, you know, uh, after coming home, uh, Mia uh, partakes of. Mia mistakes it for something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as she mistakes it for something else, you know, uh, that leads us to our first <laughs> musical interlude. Okay. And everything. What are we going for here, Chase? Uh, yeah. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Okay, so there we go. So it's this is a, a cover of a Neil Diamond song here by Urge Overkill. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Right. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. I love you so much, can't count all the ways I died for you, girl, and all they can say is he's not your kind. You'll never get tired of putting it down And I never know when I come around What I'm gonna find Don't let them break up your mind Don't you know, girl You'll be a woman soon Please Come take my
So that was uh, Urge Overkill with uh, Girl, You're Gonna Be a Woman Soon and everything. And I mean, like... It, it's playing while he's on the way to the date, I think, isn't it? Yeah. No, well, well yeah, while she's, getting, while she's getting ready. No, while she's oh, getting right, ready, she's right, dancing that's around right, the house that's and everything. Right, that's right, And, like, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just was a nice little scene because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he, you know, wants to be a good boy and everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know... So, I mean, so they ended up at the great place, Jack Rabbit Slims and everything, which is a nice little uh, 50s rollback kind of restaurant. Man, and, as I was, and as I was we, saying to you before, say we've got to go. I was saying to you before, like for those who are listening that are out there in Hoy Lake, um, I, I remember being out in Hoy Lake for some time where there was a Jack Rabbit Slims. So I don't know if it's still out there, but somebody please tell us is wow. that whether it had that kind of old 50s vibe Wow, to it. wow. Phil wants to go. Uh, <laughs> Man, I'd rather go to the one in LA, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. I'm pretty sure you do. But either way, it's good. Either yeah, way, yeah, good. yeah. Either way, it's good. <laughs> and stuff. So anyway, so... Um, so so, so yeah. we, we, we also, because this Pulp Fiction, we also have a series of monologues. Yeah. So we had this really interesting monologue from our man Christopher Walken. Yes, called that's the Pocket Watch. <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, it's <laughs> and he's played by Walken, and the kid's so straight. I was just sweating myself. It was like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So your, <laughs> so your dad, dad carried his watch up his ass. You know, for three years before that, <laughs> then I had to carry it up my head. <laughs> anyway, Bruce has still got the watch. In fact, he realizes at one point he's left it behind. He has to go back for it. No, his girl left it behind, stupid <laughs> woman. <laughs> but I, well, I think what I've got to point out at this point is that, again, those relationships I think are drawn really beautifully. I don't know, man. See, 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 see for I'm me talking, it was a misstep. I'm not just talking about the Bruce Willis and his his girlfriend, that one. I loved it. I know you don't, and we'll talk about it in a second. But also the relationship that builds between um between Vincent and, and Mia on the yeah. night out yeah, and the way it ends and the way that it's it's also sort of cliffhangerish when they finish because they really get on really, really well. It's so beautifully drawn. Well what also is nice is, is that we see a couple of other scenes afterwards where we see that she's fine and she, you know, yeah. she's unaffected. Yeah, yeah. And everything. So that was really good of him to make sure that yeah. we, we saw that, you know, in the again in representing the passage of time. Yeah. In this story. Yeah. But so anyway, so now um, Bruce has to go for the watch and everything. And, uh, you know. And as he pulls up at the traffic lights. Around, <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Because he got to get the watch first. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm so you gotta, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to, gotta, you know, go around the back and, and all that see, kind of stuff. And see Vincent again. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, then, so Vincent has a penchant for reading Modesty Blaze. <laughs> Uh, Is that what it was? Yeah, it's Modesty Blaze. It's a female detective from the old days, <laughs> and everything, and like um, on the toilet. She was now, like a, a she was like a female 007 
And um, you know, and Travolta leaves the big shotgun on a counter. Why I don't know. So he comes out and he's like, "Oops!" And Bruce is like, "Oops!" Yeah. And he blows him away. Now this was shocking because by this point in time, we we got so much Travolta that we loved him. That absolutely. You know what I mean? As the absolutely. audience, we loved him, and it's like, what? The f- absolutely. But he just blew Travolta away. That's again the beauty of uh, the art of, of this filmmaking, isn't it? Because you've, you you actually literally virtually fall in love with a guy who's a junkie and a and a hitman. So as as a person. <laughs> He ain't got a lot going for him in the positive sense, no. but but we do. We we relate to this guy. He's a lovely guy, and he's funny, and he's yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. brilliantly done. You know, but um, but then like uh, you know, so um, we'll talk about what happens after that. But we have to go to the side tour. So now Bruce escapes and everything, um, and he's driving along, and this shot is taken straight out of Hitchcock's cycle. Right, you've said that before. And everything yeah. like that, you know, like uh, the way the car is framed and the way he's shooting through the car window, and then uh, he stops at the light and people walking by. So it's uh, Marcellus Wallace is coming back from the donut shop. That's right. Right, so he was there with Travolta. Travolta goes to the bathroom, Marcellus goes to get the donuts. Right, and then he's coming back, and then he's like, "What the?" F-? And then Bruce is like, "What for?" And then he drives into Marcellus, and uh, they crash off to, uh, to the side of the street and everything, and they do a fade to black, which was which was which was good to do because it's like, "Yo, we just hit you to you know, I'm 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 knocked out for a second. Sure. So like, so they both like get up and shot dead like worse for wear, and they chase each other, you know. Um, like uh, badly damaged people. <laughs> and so they chase each other. So what I would just say at this point is that we've gone through there an homage there to Psycho, a shout-out to yeah. Psycho, a Shout visual shout-out to yeah. Psycho. Are we moving now into deliverance territory? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Tarantino, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Not like there's anything wrong with that, but, like... Um, wow. You know, it's. I just think that uh, when he was writing this, he must have just said to himself, how can I emasculate somebody and get away with it? And not only that, but the person being the ultimate in, in kind of danger, the ultimate high-level uh, high um, criminal, a, a, not, a, not only a, a gang, a gangster, but a gang leader of yeah. incredible power. Yeah. How are we going to take him down? And my God, they take him down. There's no point in, in I don't think, in, in revealing that part of it, but my God. You know, you know, but I, I mean, like, um, what's interesting is, is that, like, I'm just trying to think now, um, where does this scene take place? Because... In the shop. In the no, 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 <laughs> I know about yeah, that. Sorry. I'm talking about, in the context of the story. Right. Oh, yeah, you mean in terms of its order? Yeah, because because we see my, we see, my, we see, uh, uh, the girl, right? You know, uh, in other scenes, subsequent scenes, right? You know, so like, 
where does this take place? So with uh, Sam and Jackson and John Travolta, right? Right, you know, like, 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 uh, is does this take place before the diner scene? It can't because Bruce Willis is in the diner scene, so it can't take place before that. Uh, I mean, not the diner. I mean the uh, the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know. don't know. I I, I don't know, but. I, I, I just want to know if Marcellus is all right, bro. <laughs> I think Marcellus ends up okay. <laughs> I'm sure he does. They kind of come to a truce. Yeah, Bruce they do. To, they came to a truce. Bruce right. has to get out of town and never come back. <laughs> yeah, get out of town, never come back, bro. Um, I will so never yeah, talk about this again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's amazingly written. Oh God, it's so amazing. It's so violent. It's, so, it's yeah. horrific. But exactly, bring out the game. Oh, so anyway, that's right. We've also got to touch on um, the point where I'm, I'm going backwards a bit slightly here, where where Vincent and uh, what's it's Jules, uh, Vincent and Jules, Jules the two hit guys, they uh, have an unfortunate event in the car, as you mentioned earlier, and blow somebody's head off by mistake. So they've got to sort the car out. And they take it to their friend, whose name is... It's Jules' friend. That's it's important. Jules friend. That's Remember right. what we talked about. That's important. It's Jules' mate. That's right. Played by Played Tarantino. Played by Tarantino, obviously. That's right. Now, Tarantino has done this before, right? Where he wants a white character to express his um, N-word dialogue. That's right. And, like, instead of putting it on to another actor to do it... And to maybe take the the lamb based from the public, yes, he'll do it. Yes, you know, like he did it in uh, Django and Chain as well, and stuff like that. And um, I've seen that, so yeah. yeah. But you know, so I mean, but basically, it's like a white character having to express all this horrific language. So again, so uh, so they show up at his house, you know, with a bloody car. And needing to, you know, get cleaned up and sorted. And he's upset that his wife is going to come home and see the bloody car. And it's going to cost him his marriage. Yeah. Now, but, you know, and he has to say this N-word stuff over and over again. Now, uh, to Phil, me, you I were upset say, about it. No, not as much. That It was Reservoir Dogs that upset me more than anything else. I kind of got that this was mates talking to each other and a That's white guy. That's when I just, um, just pointed it out Absolutely, again. Yeah. I got Six times in a row that yeah, this yeah. is mates talk. I got that. So, I mean, you know, like... Um, but it's a white guy talking to a black guy and he's talking in, in that But it's a white guy sense. and a black guy who are mates. That's and, right. I mean, you know, That's and right. I, That's I would right. say to my mate, you know, I mean, I may like, like release the N-word or something like that. Sure. But then if my release, mate released the N-word back at me, I'd be like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> And this is just so that way Phil understands. <laughs> like I'd ever go there. I, I, <laughs> I'm doing my Mike Myers. <laughs> Austin Powers. Um, Excuse me. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, uh, I, that I actually, happens. I actually didn't... I, I didn't get the same kind of feeling when that was going on. It kind of felt more naturalistic somehow, you know. Because it, again, it was it was, it was, it was it, just too much. It, it was, was like mixed. it was like it was what it was like one and word too many. Right. Okay. I mean, like it would have been more naturalistic if he said it once, and that was it. You know, but he but, kept, but going, he kept going on yeah, about yeah, stressing yeah. the problem yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything, and that's where I thought it was too much. And I think I think I think a lot of people, especially this is the second time around as well yes. for people who yes. heard the dialogue before. Yes. 
you know, but I don't think people liked it the second time around. Right. Uh, gotcha. You know. Oh, wow. So you think that the, the American response and the Oh, no, he, got, he, he, he had got some land-based there. Right, okay, right. But even though, I'm pretty sure when you go over the numbers, I'm pretty sure the numbers and the rewards uh, said differently. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. everything. So why don't you tell us what the numbers and rewards said? So it won the Palm Door at Cannes in 1994. Mm-hmm. Major critical and commercial success. Nominated for seven Academy Awards. I think those Academy people are Awards. French, though. <laughs> yeah, but the Palm d'Or is a serious. It's a serious yeah, I know. award, isn't it? Serious yeah, yeah. French award. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't an Academy Award, though, was it? No, and it was. It was nominated for seven, including Best Picture. It won Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. Screenplay. Mm, uh, but it also won Travolta, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, and Uma Thurman. Uh, Academy Award nominations obviously picked up or boosted their careers in in, in each case. Yeah. Um, so it's um, often considered, it says here, a cultural watershed influencing films and other media that adopt the elements of its style. That's absolutely true. Uh, Entertainment Weekly named it the best film since 1983 and it's appeared in many criti- critics' lists as the greatest film, one of the greatest films ever made. So it was uh, a, a, a financial success, a critical success. It's even been selected for preservation in the United States um, National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. That's a major, major plus in its, in its, in its direction. Great soundtrack. We haven't really touched on that much, but there's a big surfer kind of, surfer rock kind of soundtrack theme going through it. That's because they're wearing surfer shorts. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> but you play into Dick Dale and you play out to the the, lonely, the, the lively ones. Uh, there's some great tracks, and I yeah. think the selection of the Chuck Berry track for um, for the uh, the dance scene again. We're coming back to Travolta's re- you know re- rejuvenation. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And it just he's he's only got to start moving with the music in the background. You think, oh my god, this guy's such a dancer, a fantastic dancer. Yeah. And uh, they played that that brilliantly in that that whole yeah. scene. So, so so then that brings us down to our final scene, which is uh, a big scene because it wasn't initially the final scene. As we know, like in the linear storytelling, as we were saying, that after the restaurant, they end up with um, uh, Marcellus Wallace giving them the case. Sure, sure. Um, but like, so basically, because it was such a heroic moment, right, that like uh, in the editing suite, they said, hey, why not just do that? Why not just end the movie here? Wow. And everything like that, which is like unheard of. Right. End the movie in the middle of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and stuff. Because it left us with Travolta triumphantly walking out of the uh, restaurant and, and walking out into the sunset with That's his boy. Right. That's right. And stuff like that, you know, because uh, in that diner sequence, you know, we, we had Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer, you know, who were pretty much the Mickey and Mallory characters from Natural Born Killers. Right, okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. So from one of his first scripts. Yeah. And everything. And, um, you know, so uh, they're robbing the restaurant and Travolta's on the toilet raiding sure. Modesty Blaze. <laughs> you know? I mean, hey, man, you know, consistency. <laughs> um, and, but and Jules has his... Uh, has his moment of conversion, has had his moment of conversion. Yeah. So when he gets to the he, point where he's about to kill somebody, he pulls right back at the very last moment. And for the first time in his career as a hitman, he says, you're a lucky guy because today I'm not going to do this. Yeah. And the thing about it is, as a, and the thing is, this was his audition scene. 
Wow. So, like I was trying to say, is, is like basically he was doing the uh, Spike Lee movies. Right. You know, drug addicts and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this was like a, a change of pace because, like, uh, they gave him this scene to do. And obviously it was written differently, you know. And, um, like, how am I going to take down Tim Roth, you know, and all this other kind of stuff, you know. Um, you know, I'm going to act like a more feminine case and all that. But then when he tells him about how he's trying his best, he explains the Ezekiel speech. Yes. So he's right. already got the Ezekiel that's speech. Right, that's right. And then basically what he decides to do is try to explain it. That's right. You know, and he's trying to explain how the righteous man... Uh, path is, is is to be taken and and how he himself confused which path was his until now. <laughs> and, you know, you're just like flabbergasted by that's that, right, you know, because right. it's like, one, it's about the power of ingenuity, uh -huh. but then it also is, is like the captivatingness uh, of like what you can do, you know, in these moments yes. and stuff and everything like that. It's a moment um, where you can't breathe, can you? You can't breathe while these while the dialogues. It's just yeah. one of those moments where I can't breathe now. I need to hear every word of this. Yeah. Every every nuance of this speech. I need to listen to this. It's amazing, amazingly written. Yeah. You know, so like when Travolta says, I think we need to get out of here, I say, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, that was just good. Only thing, only, only unrealistic thing about that, and you know me, I'm always on the unrealism. <clears throat> they put their guns into like their like satin shorts. They do. <laughs> it's because they're plastic, bro. <laughs> they're prop guns. They're man. like Glocks, man. You know, forty yeah. fives. <clears throat> you know that shit going down. <laughs> yes. Oh shit! Yes. Papa, yes. Oh, yes. Who, who yes. shot my ass? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but what we've got now, we've got a brilliant track from the Fun Loving Criminals here. Yeah, man. Hit us so, off with that, Dave. Here yeah, here we go. We got the fantastic. Uh, New York-based fun-loving criminals with Scooby Snacks. Hell's Gate ain't fucking a 
jobs to make a little money. No one gets hurt if they don't act funny. On the way to the yacht, we almost got caught. Fast shooting mailbox, you know where the cops is, yeah. They asked the Dunkin' Donuts, adjacent from the phone, which was mailbox fast that just exploded. They gave chase from our man Steve's and Ace, and we lost those brothers with haste. We cast it off, and along we went off Bermuda to an island resort, we rented. Are you cool? Back at our third triptych here, looking at uh, celebrating Tarantino films here on KCC Live, 99.8 FM on your FM Dow, the station with attitude. Now, this is the Liverpool Online Music Takeover. <laughs> Liverpool Online Music Takeover. Maybe we figure out how you could just drop that in wherever. Uh. <laughs> Welcome to the Liverpool Online Music Takeover. <laughs> Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision, man. Only on KCC Live. Absolutely. All right. So anyway, once upon a time in Hollywood. Now, uh, we move we move far into uh, uh, the filmography because we're in 2019. We certainly the latest uh, opus by Tarantino in his love for Hollywood. Absolutely. And pretty much, you know, he often talks about driving up and down Sunset Boulevard with his father when he was like six years old and how like uh, his uh, production designer made all the facades, the restaurants, the theaters, the the places all the same as it was. This is a big budget production and it's all up up there on the screen. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's true. Not that I know what Sunset Boulevard looked like back in 1969, but the people that do know are, you know. Well, yeah, no, exactly, because, I mean, I mean, I've been to Hollywood and everything like that. I've been on Sunset Boulevard, but not down those streets mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, either way you look at it is this was also a tour de force because of uh, the casting, you know. I mean, like, because um, uh, he had worked with both Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in previous films. Sure, but this time he's putting these two juggernauts together because yeah. it's like he wanted to create his own Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And I think he does. I think he's yep, a great no. job of it as well. No, exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, um, what's great is is that like I think we're looking at three different levels of Hollywood, right? So we're looking at the celebrity, the actor, and the common person, right? Or the hippie. And the thing about it is, is that what I thought was really great is seeing the difference between an actor and a celebrity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because a celebrity is like, you know, those like people like living up in the hills and, you know, they're famous to go to the parties and, you know, all that other kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sharon Tate was, you know, like a, a celebrity, you know, she was really hot at the time, you know, with the she, well, she, and, 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 
actor to be fair to her, but yeah, yeah. I, get, I get what you're saying. And <clears throat> but 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 then we also see the actor, the working actor. You yeah, know? like so we see Leo as Rick Dalton, you know, doing his job as an yeah. actor. You know, so I'll just set the scene. With that. That's right. So we're talking about the end of 1968, early 69, and we've got this guy played by 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 Leo DiCaprio, Rick Dalton, starring in a fifty western called Bounty Law. Mm-hmm. That's his his weekly uh, his weekly fare, but he's been a big movie star and he's he's basically well, not yet. fading. He's fading at this point. Yeah, no. So his so yeah, is, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's on the slide. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're jumping in. So he's a TV star. That's right. Yeah. Right, and everything like that, and like uh, his career is fading because. You know, he's starting to get roles in other TV shows, but they're offering him bad guy roles. That's right. Which seemed to be a common thing that they would do. When you're on the way out sort of thing, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not like that you're on the way out. It's the fact that to uplift the next person, right? Yeah, they need to kind of like as defeat the, as the a hero. big person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that, you know? And um, what I thought was great about the Rick Dalton character, it was a combination of two um, particular actors, Steve McQueen and Wanted Dead or Alive. Right. Okay. Right. New to me. I don't know that one. Well, that was the show Bounty Law. Right. And then there's Rowdy Yates played by Clint Eastwood. Right. And Rawhide. Yes, absolutely. Right. So like what happened was, was that like, um, Steve McQueen didn't take the deal. <laughs> gotcha. Right. So Clint Eastwood did. Right? right. He took the deal that was offered Leo by uh, Al Pacino. That's right. To go off and shoot Italian westerns. Yeah, so the, so he's getting concerned that this guy comes in, this producer comes up to him, that he, or meets him somewhere in a bar, and, he, and he's telling him the situation where he say, "Look, guy, you're on the slide here. What you need to do is you need to go over to Italy because the guy over there making fantastic westerns." And he's going, "What Italy? Like, is that skepticism?" So we're also talking about really the end of the traditional Hollywood. And the beginning of the of the auteur again, the auteur phase of the director, producer, writer, all all you know, all encompassing kind of characters coming yeah. out. So that's this is the very point we're talking at. Yeah. So that's fascinating in, in, in and of itself. It's a great study of the relationship he has with um, with this guy Cliff Booth, who's his, his stunt double. Mm-hmm. The uh, the ex marine war hero guy, so that's fascinating. And, and 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 Tarantino has said that like he based this on um, real guys. Did he uh, right? Yeah. Like um, you know, like an actor in, in his films uh, at a at a stuntman, you know, and uh, you know he based it on their relationship. Right. You know, and yeah. everything because uh, eventually that relationship has to come to an end. And everything. Well, you know yeah. What I, mean? I mean, I mean, what, let's face it. What he's doing, this Cliff Booth guy, is um, he's he's covering his ass left, right, and centre. He's driving him around because he's, he's he hasn't got his his license anymore. I mean, he really is mopping up after him, and he's you know, he's kind of Leo's kind of losing it at this point in in the story, isn't he? You know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, and um, basically he has a reputation, you know. I mean, um, you know, for uh, killing his wife, which you said was based upon another real story. Well, you get to the scene, don't you? That's right, because it, it is shot in in in, uh, in flashback, isn't it? And they're on a boat, <clears throat> just the two of them on a boat out in the ocean, and uh, she's giving him a lot of grief, and you don't see what happens, but it made immediately made me think, oh my god, that's Natalie Wood, that's Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. Yeah, because that's kind of their story, really. That's the story of the end of of Natalie Wood. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is that I mean, Robert Wagner was an actor, not a stuntman, but like pretty much, um, 
you know, he didn't lose his career because he went on to do Heart to Heart. That's right. And stuff like that, which was a big role for him. But, uh, which is a shame because of uh, the Natalie Lou Wood was like, you know, one of those uh, child really stars. A big star at this point. You know, so it's, 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 it's amazing that he managed to survive. Uh, That's right. Um, that. So what, what Tarantino then interweaves into this story of the relationship between Brad Pitt and Leo, the stunt guy and the uh, the fading TV star, is um, the fascinating story of the Spahn Ranch and the Manson family and, and how how amazingly well that is rendered about about the underbelly of Hollywood, which is essentially what they represented. And you, you called them the, com- the common people. That's absolutely right. These people were... Pretty much potless. They were living off their, off their, off their, um, off their wits. Prostitution was part of it. All sorts of things were going on just to just to get just to get some food on the table, and they'd taken over this this old guy's ranch nearby, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's brilliantly set up as well. Brilliantly depicted, um, and it's terrifying, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, it, it plays out like one of those little 70s horror films, you know, The Children. That's right. And everything like that. Um, That's right. But the reality, in actual fact, was worse than, than the fiction in this, you know. It's, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, when we get to that, uh, you know, the horrors that these people committed were, like, astounding. Uh, more horrifying than that Reservoir Dog scene, I tell you, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, even the reality of what they did, and and the, what the fantasy of what Tarantino did. That's right. Um, but you know, like uh, before we move on, what I want to do, do was I want to hit us with a song. Um, it's not on your list because, like, what I really like is that scene when um, Margot Robbie is goes to the movies. Yeah, she, um, she's just, she, she's playing the part of Sharon Tate, and she goes to the movie to watch her own film, doesn't she? Yeah, the Wrecking Crew. That's and, right. And but we follow the boots, and so like uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's gotcha. why what I wanted to do was <laughs> yeah, Nancy, Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> these boots are made for walking, bro. <laughs> cool, man. Walk 
So yeah, man. I mean, like, um, that was that that was awesome, you know. Like, so basically, let's deal with Tarantino's foot fetish. <laughs> uh, we didn't really talk about it when we talked about the foot massage in the other film, but this film, this foot fetish gets nasty um, because I think I think I think <coughs> I heard that he actually picked up the camera a lot in this movie. But oh, um, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh no, that's the uh, death proof. Um, but death proof, he shot that himself and right. it was full of feet. Yeah. Um, you know, grindhouse. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, Margot Robbie takes off her stinking boots and puts her feet on the top of the chair in the movie theater. Oh my God. And then what's her name? Margaret Quarry. I think her name is the girl that, uh, the hippie girl that yeah, Brad plays sunshine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah she yeah. got her feet up on in in a window and yeah. and, 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 and do you know I'm, I missed this? I didn't spot this. What? I didn't spot this uh, this thread moving on through. Oh come on! <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. Feet are everywhere, and they're dirty, dirty feet, dirty oh. feet. Oh, so it's got to be mean, dirty like, feet. I mean, I mean, I mean. Oh, they got to be dirty, man. <laughs> God, please tell me he doesn't lick dirty feet. Oh, whoa! Don't go there, man. Don't go. All right, there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, audience out there. <laughs> I took it there. What a terrible thing to think of. Wow. It's Tarantino, bro. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> cheesy feet, yeah. Oh, I never said cheesy. But I will say that, like, um, he was, uh, you know, um, he also had snoring. He had uh, Margot Robbie snoring. That's true. You know, so I don't know what he thinks of women, really. You know what I mean? I don't well, want to speculate. I mean, Margot Robbie, Robbie to, to give her a due, she's a, she's a stunningly beautiful woman, a beautiful actor. Man, you can't uglify her. Well, <laughs> what I would say is she's, she doesn't hold a candle to Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate was crystalline. Mm. She was incredibly beautiful. Yeah. I mean, really catwalk, top catwalk model beautiful. Yeah. Amazing looking woman. No, 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 I get you. So maybe Tarantino's breaking her down, is it? I don't know. Maybe he's just saying, oh, no, he's that perfect. No, he's she's just got like, she's I'm just going to shoot you. I'm just going to shoot you snoring for about five minutes. Oh, get your feet outside of the blanket. <laughs> let our cameras just grab the shot and just snore. Let's just talk about the tragedy itself, though, because in reality, Sharon Tate... And I think it was three or four of the people, friends, some of them involved in the... Three. In, three of the people involved in the music industry or, or the film industry. No, one girl was uh, the heir to the Folgers coffee 
Right, okay. And everything. And um, So she was obviously just, she was a friend. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but her guy, Jay Sebring, he was more of a hairdresser. Okay, that's right, that's and right. And everything like that. So she was the celebrity and her friends. Gotcha, but she was very pregnant. She was very pregnant. And uh, what they did to her, we won't go into the detail of that, but they were all horrific, horrifically, brutally murdered. Yes. <laughs> When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Where I stop and I turn and I go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you, don't you want me to love you? I'm coming down fast, but I'm miles above you. You ain't no doubt. 
Now, um, however, Tar- that's not where Tarantino goes, and uh, it, it's another one he of his tropes. He goes into revisionism. He does. And like, he started that with Inglorious Bastards. That's right, as you mentioned before, and he rewrites the ending. He's into rewriting. Tarantino is into playing God, being he is, God. He is. <laughs> that's right. And it's obviously a, a much nicer ending, really. It's, it's, the, it's the ending we all would have maybe liked, I don't know, but... Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Um, it's, it's ultra-violent, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I I don't like ultra-violence, but, I mean, like, uh, it's more violent than uh, Clockwork Orange. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. kind of like, yeah, I could do Clockwork Orange. Uh, you know, but um, it's, I mean, the head bashing, I just couldn't take the head bashing, mm-hmm. you know, because the fact that, that they walk away, I mean, you know, Cliff and... Um, um, Rick, Rick, walk away from it, you know, uh, because they're celebrities as sure, well, sure, right? And it's hippie, hippie so yes. who cares? Yes, but it was just that there's no right for that ultra violence, man, bashing their head into the mantle and the phone and it's, it's, and all that, grim. and then and it's then grim. and then as I and and then the girl, the girl who uh, he fires the torch on, um, she she um, she. What it is is uh, so Tex and Squeaky From. Yeah. So Squeaky From is the one who gets her head bashed in all the time. Right. Now she was the deadliest. Well, she, she was. She okay. was the most violent of okay. one of, who did the killings of, of the children. Yeah, which yeah. is why you know, hey, I could just bash and face into a you know, and then, and then the other one, she was also very violent. But um, so when he shoots her with the flamethrower and like and and she goes into the pool. And stuff like that, you know. I said that she's moving around, kind of like the pygmy in uh, in um, trilogy of terror, starring right. Karen Black. Right, right. You know, uh, uh, it 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 was horrifying, and it, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. You know, it wasn't funny to me, um, but it was gruesome. No, I didn't find it funny. No, at all. And and I've got, but, I've but got supposedly those three people were were were. Uh, um, they were, they were they, selected they, they, they were selected by him, do you mean, for... Well, they were the real people who went to the house. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the yeah, revisionism, yeah. in the murder, as you said, it was yeah. very violent what they had done. Um, and what is interesting, though, is the girl who runs away... Yes. Uh, ...was played by Mia Hawke, who was Uma Thurman's daughter. Oh, my God. In, yeah, yeah, and Ethan Hawke's uh, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, like... Um, that was a nice, good, good little throwback Lovely. to uh, Kill Bill. There's one of those subjects. We've got about five minutes now before before yeah. the end, but <clears throat> I just want to take it back to the to the middle of the film, really, where he's on set, uh, and um, uh, Brad Pitt's character's trying to get some more work, but nobody wants to use him because of this reputation he's got as a wife killer. Oh, we're talking about the Bruce Lee scene. Yeah, so he, yeah, but, uh, yeah. he comes across this 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 uh, this Bruce Lee character. And um, they they have a kind of a sort of a mock fight together, and I I just found that really distasteful. I thought I found the depiction of Bruce Lee. Um, in fact, to start with, when I was watching it, I wasn't picking up that it was supposed to be Bruce Lee. He was treated mm. so disrespectfully. Yeah, I thought, well, is this some other sort no, of Asian character that you know, like yeah. a Bruce Lee wannabe or something? No, no, know? he was Bruce Lee. Yeah, I got that in the end. And I thought the way it was treated, it was dealt with, was disgraceful. Well, I mean, um, it's kind of like um, when the person is revered, right? 
you know, you know, you're purposely trying to pull down their their shorts. Right. Okay. Right. Um, was it necessary to try and pull down Bruce Lee's shorts in this film? Um, now, no, now, it, it, now no. Tarantino will <laughs> tell you the story that listen when I you know because um, so many people try to fight uh, Bruce Lee, it's a real thing. Uh, it happened all the time. Yeah. You know, and he beat most of them. Do you know what I mean? But, like, the whole thing was, was the fact that, that, like, he, what he was trying to show was, if you could get his measure, because Bruce Lee has a particular type of fighting, which he describes, that I just do, like, these three-second fights, it's one hit, you know, one kick, and it's done. Sure, You know, which is why he was saying he had respect for Cassius Clay. But Booth was trying to say, you don't have no respect because you're talking about you can, like, cripple Cassius Clay. So, like, I'm going to take you down. So, basically, when Bruce kicks him and knocks him down. He does knock him down, yeah. Right? Then he's like, okay, now I know what you're going to do. Yeah, okay. Right? But in this reality, is, this is Bruce Lee's like, look, I knock you down, I'll knock you down again. So, he jumps up and does the same thing. Sure. So, sure, he just sure. sidesteps him and throws him into the car. So, he didn't really <clears throat> beat him. Sure. He just only had the measure of him. But it was humiliation, wasn't it? It was humiliating, and it was played as a joke and everything, and he got out of it quickly. But, I mean, you know, it, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming from the position of a particularly, I'm not a particularly, you know, um, I don't know how to put it. I, I never really liked Kung film Kung Fu. Oh, no, 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 no. So he's not like one of my all-time nope. heroes or anything, but I just thought, well, I don't believe it for a start. It's, it's just, I know this is a fiction faction this film but well you know i, I just know that bruce yeah. would have just busted his leg i mean he just would have done you know at, at, at a whim if he if, if it had come to something like in reality mm-hmm. so where are we going with that why do we humiliate bruce lee's memory here why do we do that well maybe because he just thinks it's good for the film and like the and the show um and also it gets him fired you know what I mean? So he gets them in and gets them out okay. and everything like that. It's a choice he made okay. and everything. And it's a choice that most people would not have wanted him to make. No. He shouldn't, you know, but hey, look, he made it. And I'm just, again, saying I could see uh, how why. Right, okay, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is is I just want to point out the um, the director of, um, of, of the film, that uh, the TV film that um, Rick Dalton was working on, uh, yeah. that you say he was playing Sam Wanamaker. He was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But he was actually playing uh, the guy, the actor was Nicholas Hammond, who right. played Spider Man uh-huh. in the first Spider Man show. Right, okay. But also, he was one of the kids in Sound of Music and stuff. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it was this, the first TV Spider-Man, was it? In a yeah, TV? the first TV oh, Spider-Man. Wow, amazing. And everything like that. Nicholas Hammond, which was, oh my God, fantastic. Again, pulling people out of out of the yeah. hat. You know? um, so we, we could conclude, really, with these things we've talked about for, with all the three of these films. We're talking about a guy who, who writes the most incredible, incredible scripts, mm. the most incredible dialogue. Mm. Um Paul's actors sometimes from out of nowhere, mm-hmm. sometimes from places they didn't wish they weren't in, and he pulls them and lifts or them. Or reminds up again. us about them. That's right. He revi- revitalizes their careers. There you go. But he's a controversialist in every one of yes. these films we've discussed. And I'm sure we could have done three others that would have been just as controversial. Mm-hmm. There are scenes which people are going to go, I don't like that. I'm not happy with that. And we've mm. discussed them out, you know, in, in depth, and it's been really fascinating to do that. No, but it has. Ultimately, a genius. <clears throat> this film was was rumored to have cost close on four hundred million dollars, and it 
probably just about broke even. But this film that we've just we talked about is just a masterpiece. It is. An absolute masterpiece. The reproduction, the recreation of 1969 uh, Los Angeles. You know, they reconstructed the front facade of the Playboy Mansion just to film the party scene because yeah. the Playboy Mansion had been completely changed since, the, since those days. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's truly amazing. What an inc- it's how long was it? Two hours 40? So, yeah, so how would you... That's kind of how I would conclude it, really, a controversial yeah, story. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, like, you know, um, I, 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 you know, I really would hate for him to stop making films. Um, I no, don't think absolutely. he is. I don't think he is going to stop. Um, I'm curious to see what he would do next. Um, I would love to see his interpretation of science fiction or superheroes um, yeah, and everything point. else like that. But... Um, you know, and there are supposed to be long versions of all of his films, you know, yeah. uh, for Netflix and stuff like yeah, that, bring yeah. them into a series or something. Oh, really? Um, we also know that he is developing Bounty Law. He's yeah. trying to produce Bounty Law. That's just amazing. I'm surprised you don't know about Wanted Dead or Alive. Wanted Dead or Alive was a fantastic series. Um, it might but, um, have been just before my time. I don't know. Uh, we talk about black and white cowboys. Yeah, yeah, it is black and white, but I saw I it. So what do you mean before being, your time? You're I'm, older than me. No, no, you have to get that in, don't you, Chase, every time. No, <laughs> no I'm just saying. It's true, though. I don't think we got all of them. I remember things like Sugarfoot, and I remember. Them oh my God, Sugarfoot! <laughs> my God, I was just watching Sugarfoot, like because uh, Sugarfoot is on TCM. Oh wow, like, really? What a great show it that was is! Brilliant, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, like, yeah, because a guy, about a guy, wants to be a lawyer and everything. So yeah. he doesn't want to fight, so they call him a Sugarfoot. <laughs> that's about that. And everything about... like that, and but he always wins out in the end and everything. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is crazy. It was it's fabulous. Constant. It was really good. Sugarfoot. That's about the oldest one I remember. I think TV. Oh, my Oh my god, that's all TCM though, <laughs> and uh, and everything. I don't have TCM, you know. But <laughs> the, the, the ones I loved though, the one I loved more than anything else was uh, uh, Alias Smith and Jones, which yeah, Alias was, Smith and Jones. It, yeah. came, it came out of um, um, uh, Sundance and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Skin, But it was brilliantly done, you know, really well yeah. done. I loved that. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. No. So there we go. So yeah, so there we go, man. There's our trip to going Quentin Tarantino. Hope you enjoyed, um, you know, the stories that you uh, and the little um, tidbits, the music, and everything else like that. And uh, you know, join us again next time down the Tunnel Vision um, and everything here on KCC Live ninety nine point eight FM. Uh, the station with attitude. Absolutely. And you know, so as Phil likes to say. The LVP takeover is over. (laughs) Over and out, bro. All right. All right. Until the next time. Peace.